The reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, from 13th chapter, reading from verse 44. And you'll find that on page 990-990 in the Pew Bible. So I'll give you a moment to find that, because if I don't, the reading will be over before you find it. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Colin. It might have only been three verses, but you read them so well. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the Oscar. <laughs> it's in the post, I'm sure. Let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us these parables as a way of showing us what your kingdom is like. We pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts to see how infinitely valuable and precious you are. Awaken in us such a love for you that we gladly consider all else rubbish for the sake of knowing you. Come do this among us, we pray by your spirit. Amen. Amen. So this autumn we're launching a new vision for Christ Church and we believe that God wants this church to be and to make disciples who love Jesus as their greatest treasure, learn Jesus as their way of life and live Jesus for the renewal of the world. We began last week uh, looking at the story of Jesus with Mary and Martha And reflecting on what must be our first priority, simply being with Jesus. And this week we're looking at what it means to love Jesus. And we're told, uh, and we're doing that through the two shortest parables that Jesus ever told. The man who finds the treasure in the field and the merchant who finds the pearl of great price. Now, they may only be three verses in total, but they reinforce one another. And they point us to the reality that's at the very heart of the gospel. Namely, that Jesus is the greatest treasure a person could ever have. And that to be a disciple or an apprentice, that's what it means, to be an apprentice of Jesus is first and foremost to treasure him above everything else. When the uh, risen Jesus met with Peter by the Sea of Galilee, after he denied three times that he even knew Jesus, what was the first question that he asked Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? If we're going to, uh, before, uh, before Jesus tells Peter to do anything, he asks, do you love me? And if we're going to see this church grow and take part in God's work of bringing his kingdom here to offset as in heaven, it's got to start here. 
It's going to be because we love Jesus. That's where it's got to begin. That's where it's got to flow from. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, who I mentioned last week, says our activity for God can only properly flow from a life with God. We cannot give what we do not possess. If we don't love Jesus, and if people aren't able to see that we love Jesus in the way that we live our lives, then we've got nothing of value to offer the world around us. But more than that, because the goal isn't just that we love Jesus the way that we love ice cream. I love ice cream, but if I love Jesus as much as I love ice cream, then we're in trouble. We've got to love Jesus as our greatest treasure, to prefer him above all things. Because as, uh, uh, as Carol's already prayed, Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field. Jesus is the pearl of great price on the market stall. And so the questions that I think these parables challenge us all to consider are this. Do you treasure Jesus above all else? Do you treasure Jesus above your money and your possessions? Do you treasure Jesus above your job, your status, your reputation? Do you treasure Jesus above your own comfort and personal preferences? Do you treasure Jesus above even your family and your friends? Jesus said, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. They're not my words. They're Jesus' words. If there is anything or anyone that is more important to us than Jesus, then Jesus says very clearly, we're not his apprentices. No matter what we might say about ourselves, to be a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus is to give him numero uno place in our lives. So my job today as we look at these two short parables is on the one hand breathtakingly simple and on the other hand completely impossible. It's simply to hold Jesus before you in such a way that you're awakened to his supreme beauty and worth. And only the Holy Spirit can open a person's eyes to recognize Jesus as the treasure hidden in the field or the pearl of great price. And so all I can do and all I've been trying to do this week uh, as I've been praying for this is just praying like crazy that the Holy Spirit will do that as I speak. Because my fervent desire for, for you is that you know and feel that Jesus is better than one billion pounds or your dream job or a home with seven bathrooms or the most attractive spouse in the world or having a hundred million followers on social media. My prayer is that God so works in our hearts that we honestly feel that being poor or single or unknown with Jesus is infinitely to be preferred than being filthy rich, married and well-known without him. Holy Spirit, would you do this for us, I pray. 
The passage is so short, we've got time to read it again. So hear hear what Jesus says to us. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Here's what Jesus is saying. God's kingdom, which he brings and which he embodies, is so immensely precious that even though it costs you everything, you will have got yourself a bargain. John Altberg writes, I think there should be a slide for this, just in case. Uh, Jesus' gospel involves the greatest offer of all time, the salvation of your whole life, both now and then into eternity, not just getting you into heaven, but getting heaven into you. And when you get what Jesus is offering, it's like finding treasure in a field that you'd sell everything to possess and laugh all the way to the bank. Uh, Nick Butterworth and Mike Ingpen have uh, written a great version of this parable for children. They imagine a rich merchant seeing a wonderful white pearl in a shop window and running home to sell all his furniture, his fridges and his freezers full of food, his house, his fountain, his fish pond, and borrowing a barrow to bundle in the cash to off to the shop to buy that pearl. And when he gets there, he finds out that he's still six pounds short So he sells the shopkeeper his favourite hat with the floppy feather, which is his favourite, for that last six pounds. And the merchant laughs and the shopkeeper hands him the pearl. And that last page of the story shows him running down the street with his underpants in his joy of having the pearl. And that's what I love about this telling of the parable is that He picks out so well those three little words that it's so easy to miss in verse 44. In his joy. In his joy he went out and sold all that he had. It wasn't a tough decision. It was a no-brainer. In his joy. Do you see following Jesus as a no-brainer. Because that's what it means to love Jesus as your greatest treasure. Jesus' two parables tell us three key things. First, tells us that the kingdom of heaven, which is modelled by and has been made available to all through Jesus, is of supreme worth. That's number one. Number two, it tells us that there is a cost associated with following Jesus that every true disciple has to pay. And third, it tells us that the cost of following Jesus pales into insignificance when compared against the cost of not following Jesus. If a billionaire were to give away every last penny they had in order to gain Jesus, they would not have got a bad deal. If uh, a person were to be disowned by their family because they decided to follow Jesus they would not have got a bad deal. If a person were never to to marry, never to experience a love relationship for the sake of following Jesus, they would not have got a bad deal. 
Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? So let's briefly take each of those three points in turn. First, the supreme worth of the kingdom, which is modelled by and made available in Jesus. What was the message with which Jesus kick-started his public ministry? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God was the main theme of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And here's how the uh, Dallas Willard, who's the uh, Yoda of spiritual, Christian uh, spiritual formation, describes the kingdom. And I know some of you play uh, bingo with my sermons, so there you go. Got one, uh, one down already, mentioning Dallas Willard. Tick. <laughs> so it's on the, on the screen. Uh, it should be in, the, in a moment. So that he says, the kingdom of God is God reigning. It is present wherever God, what God wants done is done. It is the range of his effective will. It's wherever what God wants done is done. That's God's kingdom. And Jesus spent his life announcing, embodying, and demonstrating that something cosmic had happened. Heaven was invading earth. And the good news, the gospel, was that ordinary people like you and me could experience the rule and reign of God in our lives here and now so that we might do so forever. John Ortberg, who, again, there you go, another tick for your bingo cards, writes, Jesus invites you as a gracious gift to become an agent of the kingdom, to experience God's reign in your own life, body and will, and then to become a conduit of God's power, joy, and love to bruised and bleeding humanity all around you. The kingdom is wherever Jesus is. Because Jesus is the king of the kingdom. So there's a story in, in Luke 19. When Jesus goes to the house of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and Zacchaeus gives away half uh, of his possessions and agrees a fourfold restitution for everyone he's ripped off. And what does Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house. Is it any coincidence that today was the day that Jesus came to his house? No. Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field. Jesus is the pearl of great price because where he is, God is. Where he is, what God wants done is done. Where he is, there is life to the full. Jesus is the greatest treasure of the universe. The psalmist says, as we, we started the service with these words, Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. But it costs everything to know Jesus. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't encouraging us to nurture ill will towards our, our families. But what he means is that we've got to completely rethink our priorities in light of who he is. 
If Jesus really is the greatest treasure in the universe, then it would be sheer madness. Now, I'm going to go even so far as to say it would be blasphemy to make anything else more important than him. No matter how good that anything else might be, we don't know Jesus properly if we aren't pursuing him as first in our lives. And the person who's explained this the best, I think, is the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Tick, uh, who is martyred by the Nazis uh, for his opposition to Hitler. And he called this costly grace. It's quite a long quote, but it's on the screen, um, so you can follow along. He says, Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace Because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Wow. Uh, I'm a huge fan and supporter of the charity Open Doors, which supports Christians all around the world uh, who face persecution for their faith in Jesus. And one of the reasons that I love supporting them is because the stories of my brothers and sisters around the world who are mocked and shunned and excluded and raped and tortured and killed for their faith reminds me how supremely valuable Jesus is. He's worth that. There are Christians who are imprisoned in North Korea who meet in the toilet to worship God. Uh, when we were at New Wine, we were told, uh, we're told of a story of a woman who fled from uh, North Korea into China, got a Bible, then felt God calling her to, to go back to North Korea. So she smuggled the Bible and herself back into North Korea, and uh, she went to, the, went, went to the village that she, she lived in. She buried the Bible uh, in the woods about a mile or a couple of miles away, uh, underground by a tree, and went back. And every night, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Christians in that village, there weren't, weren't many, but they would meet in a house, middle of the night, pitch black, all the curtains closed so you don't alert the authorities. And this woman would go out and she would dig up her Bible. In the pitch black, no torches, she would go out, she would go, go into the woods, that two-mile journey into the woods, to the tree, dig it up, bare hands, because you can't, if you carry a shovel, that's going to look suspicious. Bare hands, rips her fingernails off, brings it back. And every night, 
They re- had the, have the scriptures open. They worshipped together with a, with a hush, in a whisper, sharing the scriptures together. Can you believe that? That's how precious Jesus is to those believers in North Korea. And yet so often, we in this country grumble and grouse about church because it doesn't suit our preferences. Perhaps we need to put things into perspective. Perhaps that's why the persecuted church in so many countries is growing, while the church here is dying, because we frankly love our own comfort and convenience more than we love Jesus. And if you don't think Jesus is worth it, that's fine. But Jesus says, you're the ones that are missing out. And that's the point of these parables. If you don't see that whatever goes on the scale on the side of the cost of discipleship is more than exceeded in the benefits of discipleship, then all I can do is pray for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes because you are standing on a gold mine and you haven't got a clue. That's what this parable says. Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, Non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated through by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly the abundance of life Jesus came to bring. Hopefully, you can tell that it is my passion to see Jesus love people as their greatest treasure because I really believe he is our greatest treasure. If you could cut open my veins, that is what you would see. And I know that a lot of people think that, uh, you know, I, I go on too long, I'm really intense. And so let me just tell you the reason for that. I'm not playing games here. I'm not interested in playing Christians and giving little sermonettes to little Christianettes. This is life and death. This is about the well-being of your soul now and into eternity. This matters. At least it does to me. And a church made up of people who love Jesus as their greatest treasure can be used by God to change the world, to bring his kingdom to us as in heaven. Do you want to be part of that? Yes. At least we've got one. One. That's fine. That's great. Or two. Hudson Taylor, uh, the great pioneering missionary to inland China, Uh, in the 19th century, once sent back a request to the UK for more help in the mission field. And this is what he wrote. He said, China is not to be won for Christ by self-seeking, ease-loving men and women. Those not prepared for labor, self-denial, and many discouragements will be poor helpers in the work. In short, the men and women we need most, we need, are those who will put Jesus China, souls first and foremost in everything and at all times. Life itself must be secondary, nay, even those more precious than life. 
of such men, of such women, do not fear to send us too many. Their price is far above rubies. Now substitute the word China for osset. Are you willing to be such rubies? Please, God, I pray that there would be rubies here who would be willing to do that for osset. And Hudson Taylor's biographers wrote, the chief need, as he saw it, was faith in God for such an increase in the spiritual life among his people as to produce the missionary spirit. Not money, not the collection was to him the object of a meeting, but to get people under the power of the word and into fellowship with God. Amen. And that's where we have to begin too. The chief need we have as a church is to love Jesus, to come under the power of his word and into fellowship with him. God's kingdom, this is going to be controversial, but uh, follow me, try and follow me. God's kingdom won't come through coffee mornings. It will come where God's people are gloriously alive with love for Jesus. Until our hearts are burning with love for Jesus, then quite frankly, we shouldn't be serving or trying to share what we've got because we've not got what matters. Coffee morning Christianity won't shake the gates of hell, but sold out Jesus lovers will. Now, and this is where I need to go, 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 go correct, you know, just hear the counterbalance. What I'm not saying is that coffee mornings are, are pointless. But what I'm saying is that's not enough. You can have all the coffee mornings you like, but if you're not overflowing with Jesus, it's just coffee. The goal isn't merely to connect non-Christians with church. The goal is to connect non-Christians with Jesus because he's the greatest treasure. And that's something we can only do if we ourselves have the greatest treasure. So this week I've been at a conference for clergy in the diocese um, and one of the speakers was Tom Holland. He's the author of the book Dominion. I don't know if any of you have read it here. Um, But it's about how uh, the Christian story has shaped the West and even the world. Now, Tom Holland... Um, says quite openly he's not a Christian, but he wants to be. He's searching. Uh, And during the conference, he was asked, have you got any advice for the church? And what he said was this, be strange. He said, you've got the greatest story the world has ever heard, but you seem to hide it and make it peripheral to what you do. It's like you're embarrassed of it. Be strange. So here's a crazy idea then. Let's be the church with Jesus at the center. Let's be those weirdos who love Jesus and whose ministry is an overflow of their love for Jesus. And let's not try to minister to others if it's not an overflow of that joyful love for Jesus. Because if people see that we really love Jesus, they'll want to know more. That's why the persecuted church is growing. Because people see these Christians willing to suffer so much and they ask, what have you got that's worth all this? And they can tell them about the pearl. 
In his most recent book, John Piper writes, The longer I live and the closer I come to heaven, the more troubling it is that so many people identify as Christians but give so little evidence of being truly Christian. My sadness grows when I consider that there may be millions of people who think of themselves as heaven-bound, hell-escaping Christians who are not. People for whom Christ is at the margins of their thoughts and affections, not at the transforming centre. And I'm really afraid that he's right. And I don't want that to be true for any of us here. So our first goal as a church must be to love Jesus as our greatest treasure. And I don't mean that we love Jesus merely for what he gives us, his forgiveness of sin, his peace from God, his rescue from hell, his healing of disease, his protection from harm. All his gifts are great and wonderful and magnificent, but, but I mean we love him for him, not just his goodies. Because he is the treasure. Forgiveness isn't the treasure, he is the treasure and he brings forgiveness with him. Now, uh, some of you might, hear, might be sitting here thinking, well, how are we to love Jesus as our greatest treasure? How can we treasure Jesus even more? Well, we certainly can't work it up in ourselves. And so the answer is simply this. Look at him treasuring you. In his joy, Jesus sold everything he had to buy you. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What didn't Jesus have in heaven before he came to earth? He had it all. He had the loving fellowship of his Father in the union of the Holy Spirit. He sat on the throne of the universe with his Father God. What did Jesus not have? You! He didn't have you. In Philippians 2, Paul says that Jesus emptied himself and took the very nature of a servant and became human like us, even humbling himself to the point of death, the most degrading death on a cross in order to win us for God. Don't you see these parables of the treasure and the pearl work both ways? Jesus is like the man who sold everything to buy the field where the treasure was buried. Jesus is like the merchant who sold all his goods to purchase the pearl in the shop window. So what will make Jesus your treasure is when you see how he treasures you. At the cross, we see Jesus, the eternal Son of God, by whom and through whom and for whom all things were made, giving up everything to make himself our treasure. And just as in these two parables, the treasure is hidden in plain sight. Jesus doesn't have bright neon lights flashing around him saying, greatest treasure in the universe. The treasure is theirs for those who have eyes to see. How many people must have walked through that same field where the treasure was buried before the man found it? 
how many people had walked past the shop window with the pearl in, in it before the merchant went and bought it. Do you see? If you don't, do you want to see? Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, we remain blind to the reality of God's kingdom. We read the gospel story and it just washes over us. It does nothing. The Apostle Paul said that the gospel was a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, two people can look at Jesus and see different things. One, a small, unremarkable, insignificant little pearl. And the other, the greatest treasure in the universe. And the difference is that one's eyes are blind to spiritual reality and the others have been opened by the Holy Spirit to see. What do you see when you look at Jesus? Treasure or trash? And if treasure, one of many or one of a kind? May God so open our eyes that we may be a people who love Jesus as their greatest treasure. And in so loving him, show his supreme value to a watching world. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Do you know what the sign is that you've got the pearl? Joy. So do you have that kind of joy in Jesus? Do you have the joy, 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 joy down in your heart? down in your heart to stay. You know you truly have Jesus when you can have nothing but him and be thrilled to death about it. So let me finish with these words of John Donne's majestic poem, which speaks boldly, asking God to captivate our hearts with a ravishing vision of him. Batter my heart, three-personed God, For you, as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand, o'erthrow me, and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. I, like an usurped town to another Jew, labor to admit you, but oh, to no end. Reason your viceroy in me, me should defend, but is captived, and proves weak or untrue. Yet dearly I love you and would be loved fain, but am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me.
Amen. So usually here we would uh, sing as a way of responding, but instead we're going to watch a a video uh, just as a way of helping us to respond.